If it's been a bit of a challenge getting to know the candidates for Philly mayor, you may want to take a deep breath before this episode, which asks who's running for Philly City Council at large. The answer is literally dozens of people. Voters can pick up to five. In the Democratic primary, the at-large race is always a little daunting, much like the judicial races and row offices, including sheriff, register of wills, and city controller. So many candidates, so little time. That's why they're known as committeemen's elections. The committee person for your voting precinct hands you a sample ballot when you walk into your polling place with his or her suggestions for how to vote. Most voters take one look at the list of names on the actual ballot— look back at the sample ballot, and use it as a guide. The names get on the sample ballots in different ways, not always the best. I'm KYW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb, and we're going to learn more about this office and how this crazy system for filling it works or doesn't by talking to former two-term councilman-at-large Derek Green, who resigned to run for mayor, then dropped out of the race, and to -to soon-to-retire Council President Daryl Clark. But first, just a little bit about some of the frontrunners. There are three incumbents. Kathy Gilmore-Richardson and Isaiah Thomas are in their first term. James Harrity won a special election last fall. Then there's Rue Landau, former head of the Human Relations Commission, endorsed by the Democratic Party and many political committees and nonprofits. Nina Ahmad, head of the Philadelphia chapter of the National Organization for Women, busted open campaign contribution limits in the race by putting $250,000 of her own money into her campaign. Former council aide Erin Santamore and immigration advocate Erica Almiron also got party backing, but they tied for fifth. Another former council staffer and also head of the Old City District, Job Itzkowitz, is turning up on a lot of lists of recommended candidates. Progressive organizer Amanda McElmary is also garnering a lot of support. Philadelphia Brahmin John B. Kelly, nephew of Princess Grace, has the rowing community sewn up. Newcomer Jalen Alexander has run a vigorous campaign touting drones for crime fighting. Repeat candidate Sherry Cohen is hoping her top spot on the ballot puts her in the win column. That's not even half of them. But there are candidates, websites, and questionnaires online if you want to know more about who's running. If you want to know more about how they'll get there and what they'll do once they win, perk up your ears. Councilman Derek Green is going to share his insight. I am no longer a council member at large. I call myself now citizen at large. But as an at-large member of city council, you need to be attuned to all the various issues that impact city on a broad perspective. Public Perfect. banking is uh, an issue that I'm focused on that was citywide. Um, you know, council member Catherine Gilmore Richardson, who's focused on you know the curfew centers on those issues. Uh, council member Isaiah Thomas, who's worked on the driving equity law, which is also another citywide issue. The first time you ran, how did you get elected? Well, although I was, you know, and I'm still based in the northwest part of the city, but I've been involved in a lot of different activities around the city of Philadelphia. Now, I was on the board of the West Philadelphia YMCA, involved in other activities. Uh, people even remember me from uh, my time as a small business lender and assistant branch manager for Meridian Bank in North Philadelphia. So I had experiences all around the city of Philadelphia. So in order for someone to be successful, uh, in an at-large race, you really have to not only come out in a very strong way out of your base. So in the area where you live, the ward you live, or that council district, you need to be in the 
first or second um, vote getter uh, of the five at-large members uh, in your community. But also you have to be in the top five in, in wards all around the city of Philadelphia. So having had a lot of relationships, but the challenge at large is running almost like a mini mayor's race without all of the fanfare and also not with all the resources. Yes, and in an even more crowded field, which <laughs> in a year like this, exactly. it's hard to believe. But people are yes. going to pick five out of 27. What will the successful candidate have going for them? Well, the successful candidate will have not only the ability to um, build coalitions around the city of Philadelphia, um, but also be able to be on a lot of different ballots. Um, ballots from perspective various ward ballots, uh, various groups that do endorsements, uh, a number of different uh, unions, both um, the building trades to other type of unions uh, who do ballots, uh, and making sure you're on as many ballots as possible. And that can be challenging to navigate because you have some organizations that do ballots have a very ideological focus, and then you have other groups that do ballots that may be a little different perspective. So as you're as an at-large member of city council, as you're running for that race, you have to stay true to your principles, but also you have to find a way to appeal to a large group of individuals and a lot of different constituencies, um, which can be challenging when you're going to various candidate forms, answering a lot of candidate questionnaires. Um, so you also have that message that resonates um, with voters around the city of Philadelphia, and you have to raise your name ID so people know and get used to hearing or seeing your name um, in a way that they'll vote for you. You ended up as the last name on the ballot four years ago, and you still got reelected. Well, you know, I had a very, 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 very bad ballot position. And so I had to be creative and I had to do certain things to get people to, you know, look for my name first. So, you know, I did things toward, after I got my ballot number. Uh, I said, vote green first. Um, and that was a way of trying to get people to just look for me first and then do your other votes. Um, with this ballot, and there are a number of very strong candidates as well as incumbents who are towards the back of the ballot. Uh, so I think there's going to be a push for not only incumbents, but some of the strong candidates for city council to get people to look to the back of the ballot first for their name um, before they make their, their votes. Uh, you may also see situations where uh, people make recommendations to bullet ballot, um, which is another way to get additional votes when they say just vote for um, me for this race. We're going to see a number of different uh, tactics and perspectives uh, to help people become successful on May 16th. Okay. And do you think it's fair that ballot position plays such a big role in a race like this? Yeah, I am someone, you know, I, as you know, I was someone who supported public financing of elections. I've also supported ranked choice voting. I also think we should do a randomization of ballots. Um, whereas if you, every time a new person goes into the voting booth, the ballot gets rotated. I think it would be a much more fair process if there's a way that we can randomize ballots each time a person goes into the voting booth. So that way you're looking for the person that you really want to vote for, as opposed to, well, I saw this person in the first place on the ballot or third place on the ballot, I'm just voting for that person. Uh, I think that would be a better system, just like I think ranked choice voting would be a better system and we would need 
you know, state support for that, as well as some of the other things I've championed to encourage more people to be engaged in our voting process. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned bullet ballots. You vote for only one or two candidates. That way, other candidates get fewer votes than your top choices. Right. Some of the candidates will use this as a strategy to get additional votes because if they can get people to just vote for them, especially when you have so many candidates that are in a very strong, very challenging battle position, that may be a strategy that some may use. But ultimately, it's the voter that has to make the choice and make the decision whether they're going to vote for five people um, or just one person or no people. Because remember, when you go into the voting booth or when you're doing your vote by mail ballot, it says vote up to five. You make the choice in how many people you vote for. So it'll be very interesting to see how the numbers play out uh, on the evening of election night. Is there anything voters should know or consider when they go in to cast their votes or if they're sitting in their kitchen right now filling out their ballot? (laughs) Well, I I would say don't wait to the last minute. Take some time this weekend to really think through who you think should be the next mayor, members of city council, our row offices and judges, so that you already know who you're voting for and you're not trying to think of that while you're in the voting booth. Thank you so much for talking to me. Derek Green, former councilman at large, now citizen at large. Daryl Clark is a district councilman, but he's worked with and mentored at-large members since becoming council president in 2012. At-large members have traditionally focused on um, broader uh, citywide policy initiatives versus small uh, district-related issues, such as zoning, housing, or commercial development. But uh, an at-large council person should have a perspective and knowledge of that particular uh, initiative because at some point they will be asked to cast a vote on that uh, project. I always thought that it was good for a member at large to interact with the various district council persons because they have a unique perspective on that particular part of the city. So um, it's a lot of work um, if you do it the right way. Now let me ask you, what does it take to win a council at large race, do you think? Yeah, well, you know, I've actually seen the evolution of that. Um, Having been here for a while uh, as a staffer and then an elected, um, this thing has evolved dramatically. Um, There were not the level of social media platforms um, when I first um, became a staffer in city council. So your work product in terms of getting elected was totally different. Um, You had to actually get out on the streets and talk to block captains, committee people, war leaders, people that were opinion makers in those particular neighborhoods. Um, It is a little different now um, because you can project um, what you perceive to be an asset or something that you think would cause a person to vote for you, um, albeit a social media, but not a person-to-person interaction. Um, There were not the level of IEs, uh, also known as independent uh, expenditures that that essentially uh, allow people to, from my perspective, kind of skirt the uh, local uh, ordinances as it relates to campaign expense laws, where they can pretty much promote you without interacting with you, quote-unquote, in terms of either yourself or the policies that you uh, 
are known to be your policies. We didn't have that um, back in the day, which is why you had to have a more personal interaction with the constituents. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it is the way it is. Once elected, if a council person at large continues to be active, they can build their own constituency separate and aside from a social media platform or a war leader or a committee person because they are out there every day in neighborhoods across the city and they become known. The constituent service part of that should not wait until, frankly speaking, you get elected. There's no law that says that as you're campaigning, you can't take down those notes about the person that is complaining about a pothole, complaining about a stop sign that needs to happen. And you as a candidate can actually forward that to the city or inquire through 311 or any other aspect. And lo and behold, if that gets done, that person's going to vote for you. All right. And and that person may vote for you even if it doesn't doesn't get done because they say the person took the time to listen to me. And I think that means a lot. And that little personal touch, um, that person just saying, you know, I've heard about you, I've seen you. But being able to talk to you, I'm going to be with you, right? And that's that's important. So it's it's interesting. I've just seen it, and it's changed. Um, as I said, not necessarily for the good or bad, but it is different than it was earlier in my political life. There are 27 candidates yeah. for at large, of which voters can Democratic voters can pick five. How can a voter possibly choose I, outside of the incumbents? The incumbents have a record. Yeah. But there, that leaves 24 people mm-hmm. looking for two, two slots. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people depend on the recommendations of people that they believe uh, have credibility. Um, and when you have 27 candidates, you are kind of pretty much left to that uh, because there's no way the average person that has their own life it's going to have a capability of reviewing every particular policy or every promise that that person made. And some of these people actually have a track record, either in a different office or some level of public participation. So I think a lot of it will be dependent upon a credible messenger. It's not necessarily the greatest way of uh, projecting or making a selection, but given the level and the volume of people and what you'd have to actually do, to research all of these candidates, I think a lot of people are left to to that particular process. There are the ward leaders, sample ballots. This is kind of known as a ward leaders race. I can speak about the ward leaders in my council district. Um, They're involved, not just on election day. I mean, the day-to-day operation we do. I I like to do a lot of walkthroughs with uh, government officials to get things done. The ward leaders usually walking with us as we do that. So I believe them to be a credible messenger. And I think a lot of people will look at that recommendation, particularly in a race when you have, as you say, 27 people running for a particular office. Um, I think they will have some level of credibility in those sample ballots. Um, and again, it has changed because we have early voting. And I understand that the war leaders have adjusted. Uh, they're actually getting out their recommendations earlier because of this, the um, early voting process that we currently have in the city. So um, I'm frankly, you know, I've worked with my war leaders in my district and any other war leader in the city because I think they took it upon themselves to be a public servant. You know, they went out, they got elected um, to serve the citizens of the city of Philadelphia. Um, in the old days, um, being a war leader or a committee person, you actually were able to get a job 
so to speak, uh, because there was a lot of uh, exempt positions. Uh, some people call it patronage. I call it exempt positions, <laughs> right? But I can recall when I was a war leader, you know, you had a committee person, you was able to get a person a job at the gas company or a person a job. It's not like that anymore. So anybody that chooses to be a committee person now and a war leader, it's all about their commitment, you know, because there is no job at the end of that particular uh, designation as a committee person. The patronage or the exempt positions are gone in the city of Philadelphia. And I agree, 27 people is a significant number of people that have to make a decision about. Um, but I'm just hoping that whoever gets elected, we continue to have a strong institution we built over a period of years um, to be one of the strongest councils in terms of policy, in terms of being able to move the city forward and going through a pandemic, continuing to have a balanced budget uh, without significant layoffs, to be able to pass legislation, to be able to help, you know, in the fight against COVID. I mean, all of those things council was intimately involved with in a very significant way. So I'm hoping whoever uh, ends up getting elected, we continue that strong push towards um, having council be uh, a co-equal partner in the government uh, with the next mayor of the city of Philadelphia. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening. I'm KYW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb. The election is nearly upon us. It will determine the course of the city for the next four years. There's only one thing left to say. Vote.